Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to uh, 1 Peter. Brother John read uh, verses 3 through 9. We're going to look again. Uh, again, we are just kind of entering into the book of 1 Peter. I believe next week, the next time we're together, I uh, will actually begin the, uh, the introduction uh, to this study. Right now we're doing somewhat preliminary uh, looks at this. Uh, just getting some broad brushstrokes here in the beginning of chapter 1, getting a better understanding to what it is. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll talk a little bit about the place of 1 Peter in your Bible and uh, start looking at it uh, basically verse by verse after we get to that point. I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 again with you. We'll pray and then we'll take a look at a couple of things. Let's begin. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed... Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Our Father... There's so much. Father, each time we read these, just these very short verses, Lord, I'm just struck again with how full you have made these, the beginning of this chapter, of this book. And Lord, I ask you that as we would take a moment this morning, just a couple of minutes, to focus in on a specific part of this, Lord, that you would cause us to realize how great a salvation we have and what it is, what it is, that you've done and are doing and what we are looking forward to. We thank you and we praise you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In this chapter, we have um, the beginning of this book, which focuses, if you notice in verse 8, it focuses on our relationship with Christ and our relationship with Christ by believing in Christ. It changes your life. Now, again, the last book that we looked at was the book of James. In the book of James, what we find is that God wants to give the whole new quality of life that is exposed to us, explained to us, expressed to us in Hebrews. In the book of James, that whole new quality of life, God says, I intend for this to be your everyday life. This is what you find in the book of James. Now again, when you're studying the general epistles, when you're in this portion of your Bible, what we're looking at is the reality of redemption, the reality of what do you really have. And this is so important. 
I really believe that probably the, uh, the highest percentage of the people that assembled in buildings today called churches do not have the salvation that God wants them to have. They do not actually have forgiveness of sins. They are not under the blood at all. And this is because we live in an age, we live in an age specifically and especially here in America, where what people hear when they come to church is what they want to hear. What they want to hear is things that make them feel good about themselves. And this is what will happen. If, if I were to uh, preach to those people the things that we're going to look at together today, they would simply move on and go to another church. Because if you confront people with what they don't actually have, instead of being grateful and thankful and saying, oh Lord, I don't want counterfeit. I don't want, I don't want imaginary. I don't want playful things. I want the reality of salvation. I want to be the new creature that only God can make me. And I want to be expecting, waiting for, hoping for so great a salvation, knowing that at some point soon, the Lord Jesus is either going to take me through death or come and take us all through the rapture. And I'm looking forward to that, truly looking forward to that. But that's not what's going on. Really, honestly, that's not what's going on. So many people want to live their life in their own selfishness, and they want the preacher to commend them enough when they come, I mean, you've got to say a couple bad things every now and then. Otherwise, it wouldn't be church, right? But th- what they want is they want to be able to leave feeling good about themselves. And that's not what God wants for us. It's not that God wants us to feel bad about ourselves. He wants to, us to understand, to know who we are ourselves. And when you leave here, what you should be encouraged about, what you should feel good, if you will, about is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And if you have him, if you have him, if he really is your savior, then you should leave here really, honestly, rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And tomorrow when you wake up, your life should be full of joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now in the context, let's look at this for just a moment. So this this says, uh, starting in verse 3, that the abundant mercy of God, right? All of this is according to the abundant mercy of God. Don't forget that. None of us have earned this. None of us deserve this. The grace of God coming into our lives is because of the abundant, the abundant mercy of God. And we are the recipients of tremendous mercy. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Grace is simply receiving something that you don't deserve. And we are the recipients both of mercy, not God, not judging us because he's already judged his son. And we are the recipients of grace, meaning God is pouring out tremendous things in our lives, none of which any of us have earned nor deserve. And all of this is according to his abundant mercy. So according to his abundant mercy, he hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. Now this is an expectation. We have a living expectation. Now I don't know if you have this or not. I really don't know if you have this or not. I do. And I'm really grateful, thankful, and glad that I have this, that I'm not pretending, that I'm not standing up here this morning going through some religious motions in order to energize you and your flesh to behave a certain way this week. Honestly, Christ has changed my heart in my life and made me a new creature. And I know that for so many of you, this is the same thing, but it was the abundant mercy of God that caused us to be born again to a living hope. Every single day of your life, you have an expectation of the goodness and glory and power of God being at work in your life because it is God's will for that to happen. 
That's what he says. That's the beginning of this. Now notice what it says. So not only do we have this living hope, but it says, but we also have this inheritance. We're kind of waiting. We, are, we have been born again unto an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I don't have time to go into this again this morning. I have no idea all that is waiting for us in heaven. We have a little bit of a glimpse, and because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have a really good idea. If this is the beginning, what will the fullness of this be? Honestly. And here's the really, honestly, I think this is so wonderful. Here's the good news. You can't play with it. Amen? You can't play with it. It's not yours to touch and ruin. Right? Is that what it says? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away. What's it say? Reserved in heaven for you. You ever, have you ever been at one of those meals where they have the reserved seating things, right? You ever been one of those people whose name's on the, you know, you go to a wedding and you're, you know, and you're looking for your table, right? You know, it's like, okay, well, I see, I'm to table two, three, where am I? Oh, table 47. Okay, here I am, table 47, right over here. Here's my little reserve sign. This is where we're sitting. Do you understand? You have an inherit, if you're a new creature, you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance which you didn't earn. Jesus did. And it's reserved. It has your name on it. It's amazing. But notice that not only is our inheritance reserved, notice what it says in verse 5. Who? Those of us who are new creatures who are kept. Not only is our inheritance reserved and kept, but we are kept. We are kept by the power of God through faith. My, listen, here, look up here. My trust in who Jesus is, is all I need. That's it. My trust in who Jesus is, is all I need. One of the things that, that, that young Christians struggle with is, did I do enough when I asked God to save me? It doesn't matter if you did enough. He did enough. Do you understand? Your salvation is not in your ability to do anything for God. All you have to do is trust him. Those of us, that's what it says, who are kept by the power of God through faith. The faith that is in your life is the power of God in your life, preserving you and keeping you. You know, one of the things that, that is a puzzling question to me, it's a question that gets asked, I don't know why, it gets asked a fair amount, and that is having to do with those that are born again. Will those that are born again make it to the end, if you will? Or, or do they have to make it to the end to have actually been born again? Well, if you're a new creature, then you are being kept by God. And, and how does he keep you, right? I'm not making this up. What does it say? Who are kept by the power of God, not your power, his power, but how does that work out in my life? I trust him. Do you understand? This is a gift. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift from God. We are saved by grace through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So when God makes you a new creature, you do trust him. You do believe in him and you will believe in him no matter what. Why? Because you really are a new creature. If you don't have this, then get rid of it. Do you understand? If what you have is not a trust in Christ, but a try to in religion, get rid of that. Put it down. Cast it away. Don't have that anymore. Simply trust the blood of Christ, the finished work of our Lord Jesus. When he says it is finished, he means it is finished. 
Everything that must be done, he has already done. Amen? So everything that needs to be done in your life, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. The very gift that we're talking about right now. Kept by, through faith unto what? Salvation. Now here you might want to underline this. Ready to be revealed at the last time. Here's the thing about salvation. If you have salvation, you will have salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have salvation, but we're not done yet. We're still here, right? Anybody still here? Raise your hand if you're still here. (laughs) If you didn't raise your hand, Jeff, you want to start checking some pulses? Some people didn't raise their hand. Amen. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and some of you might be present with him already. Amen. While we are here, this is so significant. It is wonderful in this book that talks about joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is remarkable. You're going, we're going to see something together tomorrow. We're just going to take a minute. We're going to see something together this morning. This morning. But notice in this, bo- in, in this book of joy unspeakable and full of glory, while we're waiting for our salvation, while we're waiting for either us to be absent from this body, to actually die, to leave this place and go to be with Christ, or for him to come and get us, while we're waiting, this is what it says. We're waiting, we're waiting for this to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Now, I want you to underline, greatly rejoice, and I want you to write in the margin, jump for joy. And, and by the way, that is not an exaggeration at all. Literally, the word that's translated, the word that's translated rejoice here, and a little bit later, and I'll point it out when we get to it, the word that's translated rejoice literally means to gush forth, to leap Fourth, it actually, now I want you to picture this, and you have seen this. You have probably participated in this. You go to some sporting event. This is where it's normally seen. You go to a baseball game or a football game, something, and typically someone that you know is involved in this. That's why you went. Or you just really like the team that's playing, and that's why you went. So here you are. Let's just picture this. You're, you're, you're on the edge of your seat. You're watching, you're watching, you're watching, and they score, right? Doesn't matter if they score a run, they score a goal, whatever it is. And when they do, what do you do? What do you do? You literally jump out of your seat. Now, if it's soccer, it's a much bigger deal because I'm only going to get one of these this year, okay? So that you jump out of your seat and you shout and you yell, goal, right? And you're so excited. It's wonderful. And yet, and yet, we don't jump. Honestly, we don't jump for joy. Christians, there should be a great deal more rejoicing in the lives of Christians, there should be a great deal more speaking forth, at, at least speaking forth. You may not have to jump. You may not jump. You may go to a ball game and not jump to your feet every time. You might just say, you know, you get your little banner, yay, you know, <laughs> yay, yay. You know what I'm saying? Or you might be one of those people that goes to the game and isn't even paying attention to the game. I don't know. But if you're, but if you're involved in it, when this happens, when the goal is reached, you rejoice in the fact that the goal is reached. Amen? God wants us to livingly rejoice that the goal is met already. That's what it says. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time, wherein, in that fact, ye greatly rejoice. Now notice what comes after that. Though now for a season, and we don't, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning. We did a couple of weeks ago as we went one of our other looks at the beginning of this. Though now for a season, if need be, now you, you underline this, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And the word manifold temptations here literally means motley, different. So this is what's happening. God tells you now, 
at the beginning. The Lord Jesus is coming to get you. And he has an inheritance for you. Rejoice in this. Even if living in this wicked world, in that body that you're still in, even if during that time there is heaviness in your life. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm really, really glad that God explains that being a child of God in this present wicked world is not fun all the time. Amen? Because I'll be honest with you, when I first got saved, I was, I mean, honestly, I was, I, I literally was um, rejoicing when I got saved. I literally was a jumping up and down kind of a Christian. Well, I still am often a jumping up and down kind of a Christian. Just so thrilled for the salvation that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is what happened. I was so looking forward to just, just living kind of a perfect, godly Christian life, and everybody that I would talk to about Jesus would be so happy to hear the good news that I was going to tell them. Listen, let me, I don't know why nobody ever told us this before, but let me tell you about the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what I found. People didn't care. Not only did they not care, many of them didn't even want to talk about it. Some of them were not even pleasant about not wanting to talk about it. And the other thing that I realized was this. I was not as great a person as I thought I was going to become very quickly. I realized that there was a wrestling with sin inside me. In other words, the old, my old nature, the old man, still wanted to have control of some things in my life. This caused a great deal of heartache and anxiety in my life. But here's the thing. I did not know what to expect. I, and I should have, because I was reading my Bible. I was reading my Bible, perhaps with kind of a rose-colored glass, thinking everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's going, and it is, it is, but not here, not here, not in this present evil world. Do you understand? Every, now, listen. The joy unspeakable, full of glory, is for now, not for later. It is for now. But understand that you can't always rejoice because there are people that you love, there are people that you know who do not have the things that we have. You understand, if it were simply a matter of us, those of us that are truly born again, assembling together, then all we would ever do is have food and, and fun. That's what we would do. Amen. We're good Baptists. We would serve food and we would have a good time together. We'd play, you know, some kind of games on the ground. Our children would be running around playing, laughing and joking. Everything would be wonderful. And that's all that we would ever do. But that's not all that there is in this time now. And God tells us that in the midst, right? So here we have rejoicing here. In just a moment, we're going to have rejoicing again. But God wants you to understand in verse 7 that the trial of your faith. Now, here's why. If there were no difficulties, listen to me. If there were no difficulties, then people could pretend until it was too late. Do you understand? Because of the trial of our what? Faith. What do you really have there? Because God is willing to find out what you really have. Are you really trusting in Christ plus nothing else? Or are you trusting in Christ plus your abilities? And if you're trusting in your abilities, guess what? That's going to be exposed. God is going to expose that to you. Listen, not because he's upset with you, but because he doesn't want you to stay that way. God does not want your salvation to be partly his and partly yours because that's not salvation at all. God wants your salvation to be all his. And for the trials in your life to do what? To drive you to him. Or more wonderfully, draw you to him. In the midst of this difficulty, where do I run? Where do I go? And the answer is I go to my Lord Jesus. Yes? When you go through something in your life, where do you go? And if the answer is the phone or the computer, you're probably missing out. 
before you pick up the phone, before you type to a friend, before you do any of that, go see God about it first. Talk to God about it. By the way, let me say this. If you call me about a difficulty that's going on in your life, I will meet with you. I will come see you. You will come to the office and meet. We can go to a coffee shop and meet. Whatever you want. And we can talk. I can cry with you. I can hold your hand and say, I I, I want better for you than this. But ultimately, what I'm going to say is this. Now let's talk to God about it. Do you understand? So what you should do, instead of calling me first, talk to him first. And what you will find eventually is he is more than enough for your life no matter what it is. Now, let's read that in the context, that the trial of your faith being much more precious. What's much more precious? Your faith. The trial of your faith, which is much more precious than of gold that perisheth. I don't really have time to talk about this again. Do you understand that gold is one of the few metals in the world that almost will not rot or rust? Do you understand? This is, it's such an It's such an awesome metal. Gold, gold is almost always shiny because it doesn't even have a haze on it because it does not oxidize easily. That's really important. What God is saying is this, gold will perish. And this would be my response to that. I've never seen it. When I worked as an engineer, if we were designing a circuit, if we were designing a circuit that had to last, something that was going to go in a, in a, in a fighter plane or, or uh, any, any of the military aircraft, in a, in a critical weapon system, we designed the circuit, the actual circuits, the, the, the parts that touched each other out of gold because there would be no oxidation, so there'd be no loss of signal. Do you see what I'm saying? It was that important. It costs money to do it this way, but this circuit can't fail. So what we would use is gold because it's not going to rust. And God says, but it will, but it will, because gold is not perfect. Gold is not perfect. But here's what is your faith. See, that's what it says. Listen, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. And the whole point of, by the way, the whole point of trying gold with fire is to remove all of the impurities in the gold. So what he's talking about is this, even the purest gold will eventually rot away. That's what God is saying. And again, I've never seen it. I don't know that in the 6,000 years that we've been here that that has happened yet, if you understand what I'm saying. But what God is saying is don't trust anything in this world but your faith. If your faith is not in Christ, if your faith is not real faith, what God wants to do is he wants to prove that what you have is a false faith so that you can get rid of it. That's what God wants. God does not want to prove that your faith is false so that he can laugh at you and mock you. That is not what he wants at all. He loves you. And what he wants you to know is whether you have the real thing or not. If you don't have the real thing, get rid of it and trust Christ. Just trust Christ. That your, that your faith, right, that the trial of your faith, so it's about your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though we tried with fire, might be found, your faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So if you couple this with verse 5, right, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time, Christ is coming again. Amen? Christ is coming again. And guess what? On that day, you know what's going to matter? Faith. Faith. Real faith. Faith in Christ alone. That's all that's going to matter. That's all. You can take all of your good works and put them in a pile and they will do you no good. 
But your faith in Christ on that day is all that's going to matter. That is why during this present evil world, God is continually working in your life to prove to you, not to me, to you, whether what you have is the real thing or not. I'm just here to cause you to understand that's what the Word of God says about this. And by the way, this should not make you feel sad. Oh, you mean i got to go through some difficulties? Rejoice in the difficulties. Because what they're going to do over and over and over again is prove how great your God is. You would not know. Again, Mary and Martha would have no idea how great Jesus is until he raises Lazarus from the dead. Amen? Right? Lazarus is sick. And they already know that Jesus can heal. He's healed thousands and thousands of people. And so they say, they say, Lord Jesus, they send a letter. Would you come? We need you to come. Lazarus is sick. He's not doing well. It doesn't look like a cold. doesn't look like the flu. looks like he's really doing poorly. We need you to come and raise him up, or we're afraid our brother is going to die. And Jesus purposefully doesn't go. And then he tells his disciple, come on, it's time to go. Lazarus is asleep. And they said, well, Lord, if he's asleep, then that's good. He's probably getting better. Let's just give him a little time, and then we'll go see him afterwards. And Jesus says, no, he's dead. He's dead. I waited for him to be dead so that you could all see something that you don't understand. And that is this. You have no idea how great I am. You have no idea how mighty I am. And until you go through the difficulties of everyday life that everybody else goes through, you will not know how great Jesus is in everything. Absolutely Everything. That's what God wants you to know. All of this has to do with our Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says in verse 8, Whom having not seen, ye love. Amen. Right? Anybody ever seen Jesus in the flesh? Raise your hand if you have. If you have, we're going to have to have one of the deacons sit down and talk with you. Okay? All right. So none of us have seen Jesus in the flesh. And yet, how many, honestly, how many can you say, can say honestly from your heart, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I mean, I really love Jesus. Jesus is the most wonderful person that I've ever met. Honestly, Jesus is the most wonderful person. That's my testimony. Jesus is the most wonderful person that I've ever met. Amen? And yet I've never seen him face to face. And yet I still love him. Isn't that amazing? You talk about the power of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Ghost. Listen, you want to talk about the power of the Holy Ghost? Let's picture the Lord Jesus hanging on a cross, had been, been beaten almost to death already, beaten so badly that he's not strong enough to carry his own cross. Right? He literally, now listen, the Almighty God falls down and somebody else has to pick up his cross and carry it for him. That's an amazing thing. Right? Then they hang him on this cross, beaten and battered. His beard is pulled. I can't imagine, honestly. If any of you have a beard, can you imagine somebody pulling the beard out? Pulling his, his back is beaten. I mean, he's just a bloody pulp. And yet, and yet, while he's hanging there, the two thieves are looking at him, and one of them calls him Lord and King while he's hanging there. How can he understand that? If Jesus, if Jesus ever didn't look like Lord and King, it's right now, right? He is, he is, listen, being crucified by the Romans under the authority of the Hebrews, and he couldn't even carry his own cross. And that thief knew that, by the way. He knew he couldn't carry his own cross. And yet, while he's hanging there, he calls him both Lord and King. That's amazing. Why? That's the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. Behold your God. And he looks at him and he says, this is God. This is God. And by the way, I really believe that the, the, the key to all of his understanding was when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because I, because I believe he understood that Christ, Listen, this amazing thing. Do you realize that nobody will be judged for what they did to Christ on the cross? Nobody will be judged for that. Because he asked the Father to what? 
Forgive them. And he receives everything that he asks for. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is an amazing, amazing truth. It is the power of the Holy Ghost that causes us, even though we've never seen him, to love him. Whom, we have, whom having not seen you love, in whom, though you now see him not yet believing, ye rejoice. Same word, by the way. Everybody jump. I know mine. Okay. Every, yet believing, ye rejoice. And then it says with this, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we're going to focus on that a great deal more as we study this book. But, the, but what it means when it says joy unspeakable doesn't mean you can't talk about it. It just means you can't talk well enough about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Unspeakable doesn't mean that you can't talk about it. God knows we do, right? So some, for some of us, it's almost all we ever want to talk about is the, is the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. What it means is this. You can't possibly express how wonderful he is. And yet with jumping up joy, you will try. Amen. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and what? And full of glory. Now, notice this last thing. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, take your pen. Circle the word end. Circle the word end. And then out out in the margin, write the word telos. T-E-L-O-S. T-E-L-O-S. And for some of you, that's going to become really important. T-E-L-O-S. And then underneath it, you can just write goal. G-O-A-L. Okay? So listen, listen. Where have we seen this before? Where have we seen the end of something and it be really significant? Let's go back to 1 Timothy, right? 1 Timothy. Turn back with me to 1 Timothy. This is it. This is what we're going to see together this morning, really. This is the, uh, the, the, the point that I believe God really wants us to lay hold of this morning. So if you go back to 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But now we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves and mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which has been committed to my trust. Now, listen, what he's saying very, very clearly is this. There is one sound gospel. What I mean by sound is there is one legitimate, there is one healthy, there is one good, there is one real thing to be preached. Preach that. That's what he's saying. But here's the remarkable thing. This is known as the book of sound doctrine. It comes from verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10, the end of it, where it talks about sound doctrine. When you go to Bible college and seminary, this is taught as the book of sound doctrine because it is the book of sound doctrine. But notice that the goal isn't 
sound doctrine. Go back to verse 5. Now the end of the commandment, and again, you can circle that word end. Some of you might have already done this at some point. Circle that word end, write telos in the margin, and underneath that write goal. So the goal, the goal, listen, listen, look at this, this is really important. Why are we here? Why, do we, why are we careful about what we preach and teach? Why are we careful about how we conduct ourselves in the house of God? Because there is a goal to what we're doing here. But what is the goal? The goal is not being the best church in Tidewater. That's not what it is. What is the goal? The goal is love. That's what it says. Now, the end of the commandment is charity, agape love, out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned. So the goal of gathering, the goal of preaching and teaching, the goal of all of the doctrine, the goal of the bylaws, the goal of the constitution of our church, the goal of all of these things is love. That's what God is wanting to accomplish in our lives. That's the goal. The goal of all of this is love. Praise God for that. That's the difference. And by the way, most churches don't seem to understand this. Most churches don't seem to realize that the end of the commandment is not looking better than somebody else. The end of the commandment is charity. By the way, it's expressed here. Love out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. That's the goal. Now, now turn back to 1 Peter. So the goal of our gathering, the goal of the commandment, the end, the goal of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. So what is the goal of our faith? What is the goal of trusting in Christ? And this is given to us right here. Now receiving, receiving the end, the goal of your faith. The same exact wording as we find in 1 1 Timothy 1.5. So receiving the end of your faith, even, what? The salvation of your souls. What is the goal of? Of faith, And the answer is the salvation of your souls. Listen, listen, not getting through the week, not getting from here to there. That's not it. What is the goal that God has in mind in our trusting him? And the answer is the salvation of our souls, not of our lives, not of our careers, not of our families. That is not the goal. The goal of our faith is the saving of our souls. How, how important do you suppose God thinks that is? Listen, listen. Why do you suppose he would want you to find out what you've really got? Why do you suppose God would spend so much time in your life proving to you that either you do have saving faith or you don't have saving faith? Why? Because it's saving faith. And what is it saving? Your soul. Do you understand? We're talking about your eternity. The end, the whole point of faith is the salvation of your soul. What have you really got there? Do you understand? We're not just talking about being able to rejoice a little bit better. I got a little bit better faith than you do. I can rejoice a little bit better. No, no. Are you rejoicing in the salvation of your soul? Are you trusting Christ for the salvation of your soul? Is that what your faith is about? Listen, I'm telling you, I really, I really believe that very many people who are going to churches in places today, the whole point of them showing up is to try to convince others that they're doing well. That's tragic. Tragic. What God wants you to have confidence in is the blood of Christ that came to save your what? So, Do you care about your soul? I mean, honestly, do you care about your soul? Do you care about anybody else's soul? If you, by the way, if you want to see, when you go to the end of, if you go to the end of uh, Romans chapter 8, I guess we could go there. Go to the end of Romans chapter 8. Just take a second. We'll, 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 we'll just finish in Romans chapter 8. Go to the end of Romans chapter 8, because it really will help you to understand the significance of, uh, of, of, of your soul, of the joy that should be in your heart 
because of the salvation of your soul. Go to Romans chapter 8. The end of the chapter is what we're going to look at. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, the very end of the chapter. It says, let's start in, uh, let's start in verse 31. Let's start in verse 31. Ready? Let's read it. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Now, honestly, that ought to make you just stand up and shout. That is the whole point. I can't, honestly, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, honestly, I can't tell you how many times I've read the end of chapter 8 in the context, having been reading my Bible, got to the end of chapter 8, and just stand up and hold my hands like this. It's just unbelievable to me. All I can do is, literally, all I can do, you know, the Bible talks about raising holy hands. It's important you understand, this is not raising holy hands. This is not raising, the idea of raising holy hands is this, I have nothing. I have nothing. And yet everything in me exalts you. I worship you. You understand? I have nothing in my hands, but my hands are holy because of my hard attitude. I simply worship you. I adore you. Why? Because nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. I could not be more secure. I could not be more sound. I could not be more safe. And it's all because of the love of God in Christ. Amen? Very, very clearly. Praise God. Amen? So here we go. Honestly, so here we go. Entering into this, understanding this, we walk around for the rest of our days on the planet like this until your arms get tired, right? Just rejoicing, rejoicing. Honestly, there should be so much of this in our lives. But there has to be some of the beginning of chapter 9 in your life. Look at chapter 9. That's right. And again, now understanding that there is no chapter division in, in the actual manuscripts. Why do we have chapter divisions in our Bible? Why do we have verse numbers in our Bibles? They're not there when God gave his word. So why do we have them? And the answer is because we couldn't find anything if they weren't there. Right. Because this is what I'd have to say. Keep reading till you find these words. Right. <laughs> it's somewhere about this far in. Right. Go this far in and read till you find these words. That's why we have that's why we have chapters and that's why we have verses. But when you're reading this, there is no division. Do you understand? There isn't the end of chapter eight and the beginning of verse nine. So let me read it without it now. So nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then it says immediately, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness 
and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are the Israelites. This is what he's saying. And yet, with all of this joy, and this is an amazing reality, with all of this joy, I would take my salvation and give it away if all of the Israelites could have it instead. Now, here's the good news. You can't give away your salvation. You remember, we, we talked about it. You have an inheritance that's reserved in heaven for you. Your salvation, praise God, is secure. The only way that somebody else can have salvation like yours is for them to believe, trust, right? Have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ themselves. Amen? And yet, it should, it should, it is right that we would rejoice in the goodness of God. It is also right that we would weep for those that we love who don't know these same things. The irony is this. The agony that most people have for their loved ones is almost always in vain, we find. Because it doesn't matter how much you talk to them, blue in the face, they think you're an idiot. A well-meaning idiot, but still, you're just a little sad. I'm so sorry you take this religious thing so seriously. And your answer is, I'm so sorry that you don't. I'm so sorry that you don't. Because you need to know my Jesus. You need to feel the weight of your own sins. It should burden us, and it does, and it does. And this, now, so, so I said we'd end here. Don't turn back, because I said we'd end here. I want to, be a, I want to keep my word, amen? <laughs> but imagine that you were back in First Peter for just a moment. <laughs> we are in great heaviness in this world that we live in. We are in great heaviness. God does not pretend that we're not. He understands that, we're, that we are in this heaviness. But what he wants you to do, listen, he wants you to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because no one can lay anything to your charge. No one. Now, let me say this. The devil is a liar. You understand? But he didn't have to lie when he accused me. I was guilty of all the things that he said. All he has to do is point out what I've actually done. But did you notice what it says? Uh, Go back up to uh, verse 34. Remember, because we're still here in Romans 8, right? Go back up to verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also, what, maketh intercession for us. Amen? Amen? Yes? No? So here's, so here's what happens. Satan says something true about you. He doesn't even have to lie. He accuses you, and he accuses you honestly, which I'm sure he loves to be able to do. And here's what you can do about it. You can do nothing about it. But here's what Jesus does about it. I shed my blood for them. Right? There, and, and, the, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, shall cleanse us from all sins. All sins. Amen? Amen? By the way, when you're, when you're aware of your own sin, when you realize that you have sin, when you know that you have sin, immediately, immediately, don't wait, immediately confess it. Acknowledge that you've done it, agree with God about it, and just thank God for the blood. Because of the blood, it's forgiven. Immediately and completely. And praise God, because of the blood, no one can lay anything to your charge ever again. Amen? Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Because that's the power. That's the power of God. That's the power of salvation. And what God wants you to understand, that you are kept by the power of God through simply trusting Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for just how wonderful this is. I thank you that the end of our faith is the salvation of our souls in the same way that the end of the commandment is charity. 
I thank you, Father, that while we're here, here now, that you would have us to, to, to have lives full of rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory while we love all of those around us, even if that love burdens us, even if that love causes us to have this heaviness that we see in Romans chapter 9, this great agony of heart because we care for someone else. Father, I ask you that those that are with us, if there's anybody with us this morning who should be concerned about their own soul, who do not have the salvation of their soul because they do not trust the blood of Christ that was shed on their behalf, Lord, that you would convince them of this, that you would convince them of this. I don't need to convince them. In fact, I could not convince them of this. But Lord, I ask you that you would do so. I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look up here for just a moment. I mentioned uh, before that one of the advantages, probably one of the primary advantages to having nightly meetings under the tent is the continual exposure, the continual exposure to the Word of God over and over and over and over again. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It matters. Not only does it matter unto salvation, but it matters unto us who are living by faith. And the just shall live by faith. We need to be strengthened in our faith. And the way to be strengthened in our faith is to have the Word of God in our lives regularly. And I thank God for it. Now, if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, and as a result of what we looked at together, you would say, I don't have the real thing. I don't have the real thing. But I need it. Now, if you want to, just raise your hand. Nobody's going to feel funny about it. Just raise your hand. I, I need the salvation. Anybody at all? Now, I understand that people, that's, I mean, it's like a preacher. I, you know, I, I'm really concerned about myself, but I'm really concerned about all these people that are looking around right now. So let's do this then. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. But when I'm, when I'm done preaching, I will just come up here and sit on the front pew. And everybody else can watch me so they can see you come up and approach me. So if you need to talk, just come talk to me. If, you, if, you, if that makes you nervous, when I get up and walk out, stop, and, stop me and talk to me then. If not me, somebody else that you trust, somebody that you trust who can take the Bible and show you the truth of the Word of God that, listen, that you might not have to pretend anymore or not reject anymore, that you might know. Listen, I'm just asking you that you know the Christ of the Bible. Do you understand? Not me, not our church, not our religion, the Lord Jesus Christ of this Bible. He's the one who's your Savior. He's the one who already shed his blood for your sins. He did. He did. He did. He did. And he does not want you to die in them and have to pay for them yourself because he already paid for them for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, I ask you that you bless. Bless us tonight as we gather together again under the tent at 7 o'clock. Lord, continue to accomplish your will in our lives, in all of our lives. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.